This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. AM 950 KOEL. This is Cornstalks and Sports Talk, your go-to Iowa-based sports show, hosted by the one and only Elliot Clough. And we're on for this guest segment on Cornstalks and Sports Talk with me, UNI Insider for Town Square Media, Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter. So we are officially heading into week four of the college football season, and we'll be getting into the thick of MBFC play on Saturday. Now on to talk with us a little bit is Josh Betts of Bet Sports Beat. Josh, I mean, we're both regularly at the Dome for those home football games. Had that season opener yesterday. Initial thoughts on on the Panthers being 0-3 for the first time since 1969. Well, first and foremost, Elliot, uh, I appreciate the invitation and always happy to uh, join you and help you out however I can. As far as the game yesterday and the 0-3 start, um, in this game against Sacramento State, it, it it it's the to me the story was the kind of the same refrain as the previous two games. You know, the offense moves along at a good pace, moves the ball, and then defensively just poor tackling. And, and I, I think particularly something that stood out to me. Uh, in the game against Sacramento State yesterday is the yards after contact that Sacramento State was able to achieve, whether it be off of a, whether it be off of a reception or a carry on the ground and, and credit Sacramento State. That's a talented team, talent on both sides of the ball, but especially offensively. Um, And a couple of carries in particular that stand out, um, for Cameron Scadabo, their talented uh, Sacramento State's very talented starting running back. Multiple occasions over the course of that game where Scadabo should have been stopped for probably a gain of about three or four, but a break of but a, one or two missed tackles by the UNI defense. And all of a sudden, what should have been a three or four yard gain turns into 10, 15, 20 yards. And so the thing that stands out to me, especially on the defensive side, uncharacteristic fundamental errors that have repeatedly popped up through the first three games. Exactly. I, I think that's that's the common sentiment with, with the fan base, with us and the media and Coach Farley himself. That's That was the big focus yesterday in that in that presser after the game, and I'm sure it will be uh, uh, tomorrow as we're recording this on, on Sunday, broadcasting on Wednesday. Um, for the for the presser tomorrow at at the at the uh, the the dome or, or in in the Cedar Falls UNI athletic facility, um, the thing about Scadabo too is like that's kind of his mo. Like he he wants contact, he wants to break tackles. I don't know how much film you got to see of him, but he is a nasty runner. And on top of that, it's not even so much that it was broken tackles; it was missed tackles. Yes. Yeah. Like, because I, we heard the pads pop over and over and over again that weren't, that did not result in stops over all the way up in the press box. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, as you mentioned, certainly some of it was missed tackles. Um, And it's just, it, to me, it's uncharacteristic the amount of missed tackles 
in this particular season by a Mark Farley-led team. Now, I know certainly new defensive coordinator, but here's the thing, Elliot, and, and I, I, think we, I think we will agree on this. New defensive coordinator or not, that should not affect the ability to tackle and wrap an offensive player up. Nope. I 100% agree with you. I was going to bring up coach McCray coming in and, and if you, if you had any thoughts regarding that change, but like you have these, these issues at hand and coach Farley said it last week that it's a positive that they have a bunch of veteran guys and they can fix these things, but it's the veteran guys who are out there and making these mistakes. And, you know, obviously it's a loss with Jared Brinkman, not having him in the middle too, but that doesn't affect your ability to wrap up, you know, like, I mean, Javon Brecky, we didn't see him play in the, in the second half of the game yesterday. Uh, there was a, a missed sack. There was a, a, a and set, this happened over and over too, where the, it's going to be Scadabo or one of their receivers would get a pad to the, like they'd run them in, run into them, but it wasn't, there was no even attempt to wrap up. No, no, absolutely. You're, you're exactly right. And, you know, Personnel shouldn't matter. Yep. Um, it, for, personnel should not matter from a standpoint of the ability to tackle. Starter, second team, third team, uh, th- that shouldn't matter. No, absolutely not. Now, and, one, go ahead. Oh, and sorry, Elliot, but I, I wanted to get back to um, something that you mentioned with a uh, new defensive coordinator. I, I think it's way too early to make an evaluation. And here's why I say that. I think until we see a fundamentally sound game defensively, it's it's hard to put a lot of stock in what's occurred. Um so I I, I don't think I don't think I'm at a point yet where I want to comment a whole lot on that just because when we see a fundamentally sound game, I, I think that will be a better gauge as to um, as far as this defense under the new defensive coordinator. Right. And we've seen this play and, and the struggle defensively against three quality football teams. You know, next no. week. Go ahead. Oh, so, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say this coming week, it's our weekend, it's it's Western Illinois, and we have a conversation about that in the press box before the game. Um, we'll, we'll learn a lot this weekend, I think. Um, I mean, like, Western Illinois is the only other winless team in the MBFC. They haven't been good for, for quite a few years, um, and I think we're going to learn a lot this weekend about where the team's at mentally, and uh, if if the uh, the the issues with the defense, if there's a, a time to get it fixed, it's against Western Illinois. I guess that's that's kind of what I'm saying. Well, and, and no, I, I I think you're absolutely correct on that. Um, to draw maybe a bit of a potential parallel to another game that took place yesterday, a, a lot of the discussion leading up to Iowa's game against Nevada yesterday was could this be and this should be a get-right game for Iowa quarterback Spencer Petras? I think this game coming up on Saturday in Macomb against Western Illinois absolutely has the potential 
to be a get right game for this UNI defense. Yeah, I I didn't I didn't think about that. I'm glad you said that. That's that's yeah, that's a great parallel. And I mean, we both know it. We all know it. Everybody who covers the MBFC knows it. You gotta you gotta figure it out sooner rather than later because you still got Missouri State. You still got South Dakota State coming up. You still uh, South Dakota's generally a a solid football team. They're coming up. Uh, Southern Illinois, you're playing them in uh, Carbondale coming up here soon. So you and I has to get something figured out whatever it might be because uh you know you can you can train the fundamentals you can say it but you got to put it in, into practice too well and we we both know fans fans and media alike know that the mvfc is difficult every year but and i don't know i don't know how deep into the valley through three weeks you want to get into but look no further than last night in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Missouri State led that game most of the way, and it took Arkansas scoring, I believe it was 21 unanswered points over the final 11 minutes and 38 seconds of the game for Arkansas to come back and beat Missouri State. And I, I certainly could make an argument that that perhaps Missouri State Missouri State and Southern Illinois have probably had the toughest non-conference opponents um, as far as outside of you and I. Certainly, um, from a UNI perspective, we, we know how quality of a team that Air Force is uh, in the Mountain West. Um, and then certainly a much improved North Dakota team in week two that you and I faced. So, um, and then also yesterday, Southern Illinois goes into Evanston and gets a win over Northwestern. Now, granted, that Northwestern team is a little bit down, perhaps, from previous years. But at the end of the day, it's a victory for an MVFC school over an FBS team. So you're exactly right. Week in, week out now, the rest of the way. Every game's a challenge and no game is a gimme the rest of the way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So with that said, going forward, where do you see this season going for the Panthers right now? I know you, there's, I mean, you're right. There's only so much evaluation you can do through three games, but where do you see this going? Because it's not the start that anybody expected, nor the start that, that, that people around the, the program wanted, obviously. Well, we've talked a lot about defense and the, the fundamental, uh, the fundamental issues that have taken place through the first three games. Well, well, certainly, well, certainly, I'm sure it's disappointing to Coach Farley and staff that there's so many fundamental errors occurring. I'm, I'd like to think if they can fix those fundamental errors that perhaps they don't give up um, perhaps so many points in games ahead. But I have a couple, while we're on the subject of defense, a couple of interesting stats that I found in preparation for uh, speaking with you tonight, Elliot, uh, scoring defense, you and I sits right now tied for 94th in all of FCS football, allowing 38 points per game, right at 38 points a game. Rushing defense, this is a stat that I think your listeners might find particularly concerning. There are, there are 123 teams 
in FCS football. I will ask you, Elliot, where do you think you and I ranks in rushing defense among those 123 teams? I, I, I don't want to answer it. <laughs> 115th? 121st. Second, oh. to la- second to last nationally in FCS football, allowing 295.7 yards per game on the ground through the first three games. Fans, your listeners that are you and I fans listening to this know how much of a defensive coach Mark Farley is. Even to me, as as I was preparing and looking up these numbers, that's a staggering number of rushing yards that are being given up. Now, shifting gears to offense, um, I've talked about how certainly the way the offense has moved the ball in all three games. There's been stretches in all three games where the offense has certainly moved the ball at a good clip. And there is a particular area where the numbers do bear that out a little bit as far as the offensive success. And that is with regard to total passing yards through the first three games. In all of FCS football, Theo Day right now sits ninth in total passing yards on the season at 890 yards. A couple spots ahead of him in seventh place is Missouri State quarterback Jason Shelley, who has 920 yards through Missouri State's first three games. Uh, Coincidentally enough, shortly shortly before we recorded this, the weekly Player of the Week honors uh, were released by the Valley Office for this week, and Jason Shelley won his second straight MVFC Offensive Player of the Week honor, and a stat from Missouri State beat writer Wyatt Wheeler that he tweeted earlier tonight. As I mentioned, Jason Shelley has won the last two MVFC Offensive Player of the Week awards. Jason Shelley won two Offensive Player of the Week awards in all of last season. And so Jason Shelley, a guy who was on the preseason watch list for the Walter Payton Award, I wouldn't be shocked if Missouri State finishes top two in the league. I wouldn't be shocked if he is invited to the award ceremony in Frisco in January, uh, the weekend of the national championship game. I mentioned the the alarming stat with regard to you and I's rush defense. The interesting stat, though, is when you look at the passing yards allowed numbers, passing yards per game. In that category, you and I is 60th in FCS football, allowing 222.3 passing yards per game. So we've had a lot of discussion about the lack of defensive fundamentals, and we've had a lot of discussion about the lack of fundamentals overall on the defensive side of things. And while the rush defense numbers are rather alarming through three weeks, the defense has certainly done pretty well through three weeks as it relates to pass defense. Yeah, you know, before the season started, I put together that list of all the guys in the, in the defensive backfield for you and I. I mean, it's loaded, right? Benny Sapp, uh, Corby, who's been around for seven years, Wu, Steph Black, 
I mean, they got transfers in Jonathan Fenix and and Dame or Damian uh, Cremitti and and um, and uh, Miguel Edwards, and and of course Edwin Dearman in there, who's that quasi DBL linebacker, uh, being that nickel, and I, you know, middle of the road is what is what they are defensively there, and you and I in in the secondary in terms of pass defense. And you got to try to look for the positive sometimes, right? Like at least it's not 121st or, or what have you, but you and I, it's not, you're not supposed to be okay with being middle of the road defensively. Right. Um, And so, man, I, I mean, I, I winced when you told me 121st, but 60th hurts too, you know? Well, and we, we've certainly talked a lot about the defensive side of things, and you mentioned the returnees on defense. If, I, I'm not sure if you've looked this stat up, but if you had to guess, who do you think leads as far as through the first three games? Who, who do you think leads this UNI team in tackles right now? Oh, gosh. Purely based on history, I'd say Spencer Cuvalier. He's second. Okay. Corby Sander, 21 tackles. He leads the team with 21 tackles. And then you have uh, Benny Sapp, the third, tied for fourth with 11. Wu Governor at 10. When you, when you have that many secondary guys towards the top of your chart in tackles on the season – not just through three games, but even on a game-by-game basis. If you have defensive backs toward the top of the tackle chart for a given game, that's not a great sign. Yeah, yeah. And you can can rationalize that to yourself by saying, you know, he's been around for seven years. He's a great tackler. But when when the running game is reaching that third level of the defense – on that much of a regular basis, there's no rationalization to be made. No, absolutely. And and look look how many times that happened yesterday just by missed tackles. Yep. A, a number of times. Um, yep. You know, and as I mentioned before, the yards after contact yesterday, that particularly stuck out yesterday, even more so than in the first two games, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, Air Force, it was there, but it wasn't to that degree. Um, also, a lot of the Air Force's rush yards had to do with how well they blocked downfield, and that's part of the triple option, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, to, to revert to the offense a little bit is those stats could be drastically better, too, because there's these silly turnovers. There's the fumbles. There's two fumbles in the first half yesterday. Theo Day, he had one pick yesterday. One was called back because of pass interference, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and there's the penalties. And so it's it's the fundamental stuff that comes along with when you're disciplined, they don't happen. Those are the issues on both sides of the ball, from what I can see. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't have yesterday's stats in front of me here at the moment. Oh. Yesterday, I just found it here. Yesterday's game, three penalties for 20 yards. So it's not even necessarily the number of penalties. 
oftentimes it's where do they occur within a drive? Yep. And, and, and other things like that. So yeah, if you, if you simply look at the stat sheet, oh, three penalties for 20 yards, that's a pretty clean game in that department. And yeah, certainly that the number of penalties is probably more where the coaching staff would like it. Uh, you know, not, not being very many, but it's, it's all in where they occur. Yep. Exactly. You're exactly right. So, uh, well, they will take on Western Illinois this weekend. Um, I, I guess to, to revert back to that question, um, do you, do, where do you see this team going right now? Do you see a playoff? T- I don't see a playoff team in front of me right now with the product that we see. Granted, again, small sample size. These are good teams. We have a lot to see yet. I mean, the season's not even close to being over. So uh, what we've seen so far is maybe not a playoff team, but I, I mean, it can get there. Like Coach Farley's been in this business for a long time. He's done a lot of things. We've seen uh, UNI teams turn it around and win a bunch of games towards the end of the season. Um, so I, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's over and done with. That's not even close. Plus, this team is loaded with vets. It's loaded with talents. There's a lot to be seen. What what are your expectations going forward? What do you think is going to happen with this UNI football team? Well, quite frankly, with the schedule that's ahead, and sitting at 0-3 right now, I don't think this is a playoff team. Certainly at this point, um, I think I think they can afford to lose one more game. The, the Valley is too good at the top this year. I don't know that this is a year where 6-5 and five gets you in. Um, you know, at Western Illinois this Saturday and then back home for Indiana State, that, that – I I would mention to your listeners, this Indiana State team is much improved. Their their record might not show it, but this is a much improved Indiana State team that is playing extremely inspired football right now. Um, uh, For those that may not know, um, prior to the start of the season, um, I believe this was in late September, or uh, sorry, late. Uh, August. I don't recall the exact date, but there was a there was a car accident that killed two Indiana State football players, uh, and that that accident occurred prior to the season opener. And this is an Indiana State team, like I mentioned, playing some extremely inspired football. Uh, you know, and certainly in the past couple of years, Indiana State has had a bit of a down team. This is an Indiana State team that is incrementally trending upward Uh, that game in two weeks uh, in the dome in October 1st, that's going to be a more difficult game than perhaps some of your listeners might realize. And then Illinois state uh, at home, the 8th of October, after that, Illinois state's always a solid team. Uh, uh, The non-conference game on the 15th of October with Utah tech, uh, Sacramento State uh, beat them relatively handily um, in their only game prior to the game yesterday against you and I. What stands out to me looking at this schedule, Elliot, for you and I, and what I think will very much tell the tale of what this season will look like, is the last four games on their schedule. Hosting Missouri State, October 22nd. 
at Southern Illinois, October 29th. You mentioned that game earlier. Hosting South Dakota State, November 5th, the bye week after the South Dakota State game, second to last week of the regular season. And then you close the regular season in Vermilion against South Dakota. There again, who is a much improved team. Again, as we record this tonight and sit here right now, this is not a playoff team to me. There's there's too many potential losses on the schedule with what I've seen through three weeks. If um, you know, if we if we connect, you know, three or four weeks from now, maybe my opinion's different and, and has changed. But right now, I don't see this as a playoff team. A lot of things have to change. Um, for those of you who might not know much about. Uh, these these other teams in the MBFC right now, I highly recommend who the guy who we just talked about, Jason Shelley, Missouri State, going to watch that football team because that's the team that can beat anybody. As we saw this weekend, they almost beat Arkansas and, and competed with them, Southern Illinois, South Dakota State. And it's not like it's it's one thing when you get these these teams spread out, but to get Missouri State, Southern Illinois, South Dakota State three weeks in a row, that's a Oh, that's brutal. So we'll see how it shakes out. He is Josh Betts uh, of Bet Sports Beat. You can follow him on Twitter. It's Bet Sports Beat there as well. Josh, we always appreciate you taking the time um, and 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 being one hundred percent honest with how you feel, not mincing any words. We appreciate that, man. Well, like I mentioned at the start, Elliot. Uh, certainly, I appreciate the invitation. Um, like I mentioned, always happy to join you and help out whoever I can and uh, look forward to connecting as we get later in the season as well. 